Welcome to Grow Your Creative Agency, a podcast. Nate, Nate. Yeah? It's not going to work, It's not going to work. Okay. Hey, this is Eric Parnell, owner of the Northwest Collective. And Nate Kupish, owner of Blastoff Studio. Has your creative agency plateaued? Or are you growing slowly and ready to scale up faster? Or maybe you're just ready to give up and get a nine to five. Listen in as we chat with founders who have successfully built up their own creative agencies. Join us as we learn how to get the clients you want, generate greater revenue, and develop a sustainable business model that makes you more productive and less stressed. Hey friends, welcome to the Grow Your Creative Agency podcast. My name is Nate Kupish. And I'm Eric Parnell. Yeah, and today we get to talk with Kelly Long. Uh, Kelly Long is from, Eric? We are Manifold, a yeah. really cool agency. Um, they're in Portland, the Bay, got a, got a few locations actually. Um, but yeah, doing some really cool work. Um, some recent stuff I saw for Bumble, some build out of uh, some crazy booths and human kaleidoscopes and really experiential marketing focused agency that we're excited to speak with. Lots to learn from her. Well, without further ado, let's just dive in. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Um, but yeah, before we get started, I thought it might be good. You know, we've got to know you a little bit already, but could you tell our audience who you are and um, what your company is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Kelly Long. I'm one of the founding partners here at Manifold. Um, we're an experience agency here based in Portland. Um, We used to have offices in San Francisco and L.A., and obviously with COVID life, um, we shut those down, but we still have folks all over. Um, I have been running the agency for, it'll be 13 years in April. We launched in 2010, um, and I have two other business partners. We originally launched with five, and we're down to three, which I can talk about later. Um, all, All good stuff. Um, I am a mom of two. I have a eight-year-old daughter um, and a four-year-old son. They both keep, keep me very busy, um, but also very motivated in life, and um, they're, the, they're the best. But yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I just came off a two-day all-company meeting, so I'm like in a great mindset to talk about why I do what I do and these awesome people I work with. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited about awesome. this. Yeah, thank you so much. Cool. Well, yeah, to start out, um, you know, we got a little bit about where you are today. Uh, How many employees is your agency currently? Uh, We're about 25 full-time. And then we staff up, obviously, when we do big programs with um, contractors and independent uh, freelance. So good size. I'd say that's a a good size agency. Um, Further along than than where Nate or I are. So um, we'll be great to pick your brain and um, get some background here. But yeah, to start off, you know, maybe take us way back. Um, your background as far as getting into the agency space, how did you get started or what was your interest in creative services? Yeah, so um, I'll go way back to my very first job um, out of school was at a large agency called Ogilvy. I was in the public relations space back when, you know, agencies were much more siloed. Um, And I worked there and um, Ogilvy, Porter Novelli, um, and a couple other agencies. So I had a lot of agency background. I then went and took um, a full-time job in-house. I wanted to kind of learn the brand side. So I went over to Yahoo 
um, back in 2005. And I worked in corporate communications over there, working with the executive team, uh, mainly on financial announcements, mergers and acquisitions, big partnerships. Um, And a tiny little piece of my job there, which I remember when my boss kind of pitched it to me, was to support this group called the Buzz Marketing Team. And um, I was very interested in the business side, but, you know, she's like, this is a, this is a team that does some really fun things. And so as part of your job, like five, 10%, you'll be supporting the the initiatives that they do. Um, So I thought, you know, it was great. Loved, loved the job. Um, After five years of just like craziness, um, you know, luckily I wasn't married and I didn't have kids because we'd work till 10. Sometimes we'd sleep under our desks. Um, You know, we'd go out late wake up early. <laughs> wow. All those things. Um, you can only sustain that so long. So I got tired of the Wall Street Journal calling me at one in the morning and I decided I needed to go do something else. So I interviewed at a number of different um, places and the buzz marketing team that I had been sort of supporting um, knew that I was looking for other opportunities and they actually have an opening on their team. Um, and so you know, after thinking a lot about it, I, my, my long-term goal was to be a CMO one day. And so I thought to myself, I really need to learn the rest of the business, right? I need to understand the digital side, marketing and advertising. Um, and I thought this would kind of be a good segue into doing that. So I moved over to that team um, and worked there full-time, probably, I guess, about maybe almost two years. Um, and then five of us at the time that were on that team decided to jump ship and start our own agency. Nice. Very cool. Uh, I mean, you've, you've obviously done very well to this, this far. Um, what do you think at the, at that early stage, what were your strengths or what was kind of your drive that kind of helped propel you into being in a place to start your own? You know, I think, um, a lot had to do with the work that we did, um, on the buzz marketing team. It's funny to, to, to call it that because that sounds so old school buzz marketing. <laughs> but at the time, we were this cool little team inside of a big corporate company that was almost like a mini agency in itself, right? So mm-hmm. we would um, mainly support the Yahoo brand and all of the Yahoo um, properties, um, you know, within the company. But then a piece of our job was also to support our lar- large advertisers. And so we would come in and kind of develop these value added events per se that would sort of help distinct um, us between our other competition when advertisers were coming to us. And so we had the chance to do some really fun um, and innovative things within that division. You know, I think that a lot of people at the company either loved us or hated us because it was like this little crazy group that kind of got to do whatever they wanted to and they'd get money to do all these wild things. Um, but at the time, our CMO was Cami Dunway, and she was amazing. Um, she was one of the one of the mentors I would say in my life that just really taught us to be fearless and think big and and you know do things that people tell you not to do. And um, because of that, I think we took a lot of that courage that she instilled with us um, to do what we do now. You know, and we sort of said to ourselves, once things were changing within the business, and you know, Yahoo was going through a lot of corporate changes. And, um, you know, we just said to ourselves, like, you know, what we're sort of doing, we're sort of running an agency right now as it is internally, I think we could do this on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, wasn't the best time to jump ship and start an agency in 2010. (laughs) But we thought, you know, whatever, we can do this. Um, So it was it was an interesting time, though, because the five of us 
uh, wrote our resi- our letters of resignation and brought them into the other CMO at the time, which was not Cami. Oh, wow. Um, and it, it was a little bit of an awkward feeling because we assumed that they would just have us walk out the door um, mm-hmm. that day. So we were sort of ready to pack our bags and go. <laughs> and they did, they asked us actually to stay two weeks just oh, to help them sort of understand God, like how yeah. the team was run. It was a small group. I think our group was maybe 12 at the time. So it was, oh, it was like half the division basically. <laughs> um, you know, so it was, um, um, it was a compliment, but it was also just an awkward two yeah. weeks because you had either people rolling their eyes or high fiving us as we walked down the hallways of yeah. Yahoo during yeah. those two weeks. <laughs> so, how did so out of these twelve-ish people, and then five of you have some conversations, and you say, "Let's go do this outside of these walls. We think we can do it ourselves." One person starting any form of agency, whether it's um, like Eric film primarily and storytelling or me through brand development and web or you through all the different pieces that you were offering. One person doing it is one thing because at the end of the day, you can pull from savings, you can do it, but five, that's like five livelihoods going out. So how did you actually get started? Did you have an initial deal that was extended to you that would fund you five? Um, Did you have savings? How did you guys go about starting that financially? Yeah. Um, so we did not much. Um, the crazy thing was I at the time was only, was the only one of the five of us, um, that had a partner with a, with another income. Um, so I think part of that, you know, to have these four guys say to me like, Hey, we can do this. And to have the courage to do that, um, on a single income, I was like, if you guys are are confident to do this, we I'm in, you know, count me in. It was, yeah, it was great. So, um, and I think we just, we're still like that to this day. We just believe in ourselves and we believe in why we do what we do. And we just, you know, we get it done. And uh, so from a financial standpoint though, we really didn't have to put much in because we had no overhead, right? And Mm -hmm. we each put in Mm $10,000 and that was really to cover the basics, you know, website, business cards, um, phone bills per se. but other than that, that was the only investment that we had. And we said, do, and we made the commitment at the time that everybody then and still today have their own personal financial situations. And that cannot, that cannot be involved in the business, right? Like the, the, the financials that we work with in the business are totally separate from our personal situations. And I will say that has been very helpful, um, you know, in just the way that we've structured the company. It's everybody always gets equal distributions. You know, it's always been equal across the board. So we started with 10 grand. Um, We worked out of my, so let's see, three of us were in San Francisco at the time. One was in LA and one was in New York. Um, So we worked, yeah, I don't know how we did that because yeah, Zoom didn't even exist at the time. Uh-huh. We didn't even have cell phones. We had, well, we had Blackberries or something crazy. Yeah, I'm dating myself now. I sound old. <laughs> but um, we, uh, the three of us that were in San Francisco, we would meet together. I had a one-bedroom apartment in Noe Valley in San Francisco, a little apartment with, like, green carpet and one bedroom. And we had this four-top table that we sat at and one landline that we used with, like, a speaker phone. <laughs> wow. And uh, – the, um, the, w- there was one, there was one person, um, that was an old friend of ours who worked at Yahoo. Uh-huh. And at the time he had gone to, um, AOL. He was the president of AOL at the time. Wow. And I met, I remember having drinks with him in New York 
um, it was kind of the last project that we had worked on at Yahoo. And I met up with him and I was like, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. You know, we're, we're thinking of starting our own agency. You know, if we were to do that, would you consider working with us and hiring us? And he said, absolutely. Hands down. I would. And, this and was um, of AOL, you said, yes. Um, oh. he's, he is, um, a good friend of ours and he's gone on to do a lot of things, but, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, I, we worked with him for a long time at Yahoo. He was a, he was a good friend, but he's like hundred percent. I love what you guys do. And, and I will, I, I would hire you. So we quit and he hired us <laughs> and cool. he, he was, was our first, first um, yeah, cool. He was our first, well, I, I, so he was our first like big client. Cause I okay. know there is a question about our first, first client, okay. um, first paying client. So I can tell you that story later, but, okay. um, Brad was our first large client and, and he actually is still a client to this day. He's gone wow. on to many different companies um, and he's a still um, a client of ours, which, you know, just a true testament to how supportive he's been of us. Um, and, Amazing. you know, one of the people that really helped us really get our feet off the ground. Yeah. In a, in a couple of episodes ago, um, and gosh, I don't even know if it's, we haven't even edited and put it out yet, I think. But um, we interviewed another founder. Um, we're sitting on some great content that we can't wait to push out. But his whole <laughs> thing was in the early days, everything is for him. And I'm finding it to be true, too. And Eric, but everything's relationships. Because at the end of the day, everyone's just a person. Yeah. And so, okay, so it, it, it's true for you, too. Five business partners. Absolutely. You get this deal. Um, you said you were maybe going to tell us the first thing so the first job what was yes the first job? yes because i know one of your questions was what was actually the first paying client yeah. um yeah. Yeah. so it's a funny story there was a company i think they're actually still around called urban airship okay um and they were basically the first company to create push notifications and wow. mm. they wanted to do something fun and experiential they didn't have a ton of money and so um we came up with this idea that they go outside of um, the WWDC, which is the Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple's yeah. conference yeah. down at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. And there's always huge lines to get in. And um, we said, stand out there and, um, you know, kind of be these airship stewardess and hand out coffee to everybody that's just waiting in line and kind of bored and cold. And um, and so they we created this like tiny little coffee cart that looked like an airship. So we handed out free coffee that was branded and you know the coffee mugs were branded and whatnot and um and we got paid one thousand dollars <laughs> and it was the nice. first check um but we were so excited to get an actual check that was written to manifold it was it was just yeah. like the most amazing feeling that like our company that we had started um somebody actually wrote us a check so um i'll be that honest was, that really was just a fun feeling we do all of our billing proposals all that digitally now so my first clients were just like bank transfers, which I feel like I kind of missed yeah. out on the whole like handing of check experience. I feel Frame totally just Yeah, I don't have a first dollar to frame yeah. or a first check. I yeah. I mean, I'm, you have to I'm print 30, it out. Print yeah. it out. And I'm like, I missed it. I missed it. Yeah. So, all right, lucky <laughs> you, Kelly. That's really cool. Yeah, still got yeah, it. And so was Thank that you. was that. Um, Early on, were you experiential focused? I mean, sounds like from mm. the coffee cart, Good obviously question. that's an in-person event kind of thing. Mm. Uh, was that your focus? Yeah, it was. You know, we tried to do little things here and there. Coming from being inside of Yahoo, we understood, right, the full 360 mix of how to how to do things. And so we, you know, one client came to us and they wanted to do a billboard 
on the 101 and you know some folks wanted us to do some digital stuff and social and, and so we kind of you know we dipped our toes into all of that stuff but we really knew from our world of buzz marketing that that was our bread and butter but i think what made us different than you know we weren't just an event company we were we were an agency that thought about how do you take live events and grow them digitally and socially you know and we had the we had the privilege of working at yahoo with these massive platforms that reached thousands of people hundreds of thousands of people and so we understood how to how to do that and then at the same time create content within those experiences that then could come back to digital and reuse those assets in in new ways Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we have this theory and, and it's, we've always had it. It's like film everything, shoot everything, record everything. Cause all of that content can be used in all different kinds of ways from a marketing perspective, yeah. you know, back, back in those days, do you ever remember like UGC user generated content? That was like the big thing when we were yeah. at Yahoo <laughs> is that, you know, people making their own content. Right. Um, but you know, we could sort of understood that thinking of, you know, we're not just going to spend $2 million and launch this huge event, you know, and maybe a hundred people come and in an hour it's done and gone and only those hundred people saw it. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly thinking about how do you, how do you create these moments in time in real life, but then you scale them through digital and social and all of these different pieces. So that's, that's kind of, that that was really like what our bread and butter was there. And it, it still really is that to, to the day. Now I'm now you got me interested. Back then, as you were starting, you first saw the user generated content as being something that was really valuable and also making the most out of something that's a, a moment, but carrying on the experience. What do you think it is today that's not fully recognized as this is how it's going to be, but in ten years from now, it'll be this is how it is. I don't know what the future will be, but I do think we've learned a lot through the the rough years of COVID. Um, you know, I mentioned, we just had our company all hands here yesterday and our, um, head of creative got up and kind of gave this whole conversation about, um, you know, the great reprioritization. And, you know, he's like, a lot of people talked about, you know, were they in the right jobs? Did they love what they were doing all during COVID? Um, but he said for, for me and our design team, we really thought about, um, what we went through during COVID and, you know, he's a funny guy. He's like, I'm a homebody. And I figured like this COVID's great for me. I can stay home and design, drink my bourbon <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a happy guy. And he's like, and I realized I I'm not, I, I do what I do. And I, I'm inspired by the people that I'm around and interact with. And, and that's everything that we do, right? We create these experiences for real human beings. Um, and, and he's like, I took that for granted. Um, and I realized how incredibly important that is to the work that we do. Everything that we do is for that person that's going to interact with that experience. So I don't know, um, you know, if there's some trend that, that is going to be important 10 years from now. But I, I do think that's a very significant sort of mind shift that our industry has made, um, you know, it's not just about like popping up this event and hoping people come and taking a selfie and giving out some swag, you know, it's really helped us reprioritize like what, what should this experience be? Because people care about, um, different things, I think 
than they did before COVID. And that's helps drive us, I think, in in what we do and the creative that we, that we build. It's really good. Thank you. I think for me, you know, the pandemic gave us a lot of time to think and get internal. And I definitely value experiences a lot more than I used to. I think stepping back, I was able to realize life is kind of a collection of memories and we have our normal everyday lives. But if I don't make something event or make something an event or make it special or different when I take my girls out for a hike or whatever it is, you know, it might just be another day that's gone by. So um, I feel like those experiences for me are even more important than ever. There's a book that I read recently called The Power of Moments. It's by the Heath brothers. I don't know if you've heard of it, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's an incredible book and it it talks about, it's got all kinds of stories in it. Um, And I actually handed it out at our all all hands after, Mm -hmm. after our all hands yesterday, because it, to me, it really just encapsulates what we do, right? It's, um, it's this whole theory that, you know, great moments can happen by chance and by luck, but why not go out and create these extraordinary moments? Cause we have mm. the power to do that. Um, cool. And one of the chapters in it, I love, cause I feel like it really encapsulates what, what I believe in um, as sort of our, one of our driving, um, driving beliefs or values as an agency. Um, but it's called breaking the script. It's this concept of breaking the script. And it tells this, it tells the story in this book about um, a family that went on vacation to Hawaii and um, this, they get home and they realize the son had left his like beloved stuffed animal there at the resort. And of mm-hmm. course he's just a wreck. He can't go to sleep. And so the dad says to himself, Oh my God, I think I'm going to have to do that thing that I said I'd never do as a parent, which is lie to my kid. And so he, uh, he tells, he tells his son, like, don't worry, Josie's just, he wasn't ready to come home. He's just out there vacationing. And, you know, he wanted to check out the beach and long story short, he calls the resort and says, Hey, um, can you do me a favor? My son left his stuffed bear there. And I told him that he's there vacation. I know this is a crazy request, but could you just take a picture of the bear, like doing something by the beach? And, um, you know, the person at the Ritz said, absolutely no problem. So they take a picture and they send it to the dad and the dad shows the son, the son's good and everything's good in the world. And then the um, hotel sends it back, mails the bear back. And along with with the bear is um, an entire photo album that the staff had created with pictures of Josie the bear getting a spa treatment, driving a golf cart, all of these things <laughs> um, oh when he was away. And um, the point is, is that they went through all of this effort for a um, guest that had already checked out and was no longer at the resort. Yeah. And they talk about, you know, that employee broke the script, right? Which is breaking the um, expectation of what you should do or what, what is thought that you should do. Huh. Um, and kind of going in above and beyond that experience. And I loved it. They called it creating not just surprises, but creating a strategic surprise. Mm-hmm. And so when I was talking to my team yesterday, I'm like, that's what we do. Like, let's break the script more often. 
Let's yeah. like, we all know what's expected as an agency, right? Like we need to have good account service. We need to listen to our clients. We need to do great creative. We need to have flawless execution, but any agency can do that. So let's continue to be the company that goes above and beyond and really um, creates these experiences that are above um, what, what is expected. That's amazing. Love that. Really cool thought as far as what to bring into your work today. And um, it kind of gets my wheels turning about. I know I want to, I've been pointing at him behind the camera. I'm like, okay, fine. You take the mic. Cause I keep, I have so many questions, <laughs> but um, I'll let Eric, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, I want to, I mean, I want to talk more about kind of what your work looks like today, but before we do um, just to wrap up our, our background section, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what's, in the earlier days, the five of you went off on your own, had a great connection with um, your friend from AOL, but um, what was, say, like one big big win or big payday or something in the early days that you're like, you know what, I think we're going to make it, um, that just kind of lit some, lit some uh, fire under you guys? You know, I think, I mean, the AOL client for us was huge. It was ironically our first and only in the last 13 years, um, retainer client. So they, oh, they wow. brought us on for 12 months. Mm -hmm. Um, everything else we've ever done is project to project, even though we have clients that we've worked with, you know, for many years and, you know, for example, you know, we worked with GE to produce an event for them for seven years. So somewhat retainer, but from a contract and financial perspective, like we had to go out and continue to pitch that business every year. So yeah. that was a big deal for us to have AOL bring us on for 12 straight months and kind of, you know, be an official AOR. And that was right um, from the beginning. Yeah, that was right from the beginning. And, and again, like I just, I am so grateful to that friend who had the trust in us to do that. And I think that really gave us kind of the courage and the runway to then be able to go and pitch and win additional clients. Um, cause we knew at least we had this solid foundation for a year. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. And you know, AOL, uh, at that time, you know, carried, carried a lot of weight and, um, I can hear know. the chime in my head from when messenger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you hear the dial up? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm sure that carried a lot of weight in your other, pitches and um, other client conversations to already have them. Yeah, it was huge clients. for us, you know, because we, we had no clients just when we started. Right. And so to be able to go out and say that we had sort of this, you know, anchor client, which at the time was a huge name that really helped right. us get in the doors. And I and I would also say the relation to your point about relationships, I 100 percent agree. Relationships are everything in this. I mean, not just this business, really in life. Right. And yeah, um, yeah. and we were fortunate that we had so many great relationships from Yahoo. And those people went on to other companies and had, mm. you know, great senior roles in these other places. And that's really how we started to build the business. We called it the Yahoo Mafia because it was like we had friends in every big tech company <laughs> nice. that we could call and be like, hey, you know, now that you're at LinkedIn, now that you're at Facebook, what do you think? Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to this day, it's all about relationships. Um, and, and that really kind of helped us get our feet on the ground. And just to give a bit more context uh, for us and listeners, um, has most of your work in the last 13 years with your agency been in corporate or were there some other one-off jobs like the coffee cart where it wasn't some massive organization that hired you? 
Uh, yeah, no, it's um, it. So it started, I would say in the first couple of years, it was mainly technology because we were in Silicon Valley. It was kind of our roots coming from Yahoo. Um, mm -hmm. So we worked with big tech clients, um, but we've definitely diversified and grown into other um, industries and verticals um, and big and small. You know, we worked with, um, you know, we worked with some nonprofits like Make-A-Wish um, right now we're working with UCLA, which is super exciting to be in higher education. Um, we moved into the spirits business and worked with um, companies like um, um, High West Whiskey. And we're currently working with the region of Bordeaux in France. So we've definitely branched out of just like big corporate tech world, mm -hmm. um, which has been a lot of fun because, you know, uh, that, you never really want to be siloed into one industry. In those early days, did you position yourself as, um, you know, wanting to seek out and work with tech companies or was it just, we're a creative agency, here's what we do, here's what we believe, work with us type thing? Yeah, I mean, I think we positioned ourselves just as an experiential creative agency, mm -hmm. but the truth and reality is the people that we knew and the doors we could knock on were in the tech world. So mm -hmm. that's just sort of where we started. And, and back then, you know, I want to pretend like we had this big, great five-year plan of how we we're going to grow the business, but we were like, we just got to get clients. <laughs> it doesn't matter who or where they are. We just need paying clients. So, um, so that's sort of how it started. And then as we became more savvy and understood like growing a business and what's important and realizing how, you know, critical diversification is, then we realized like, okay, we can't just have these couple huge monster tech clients. We've got to really branch out and, um, and try and kind of break into other worlds. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit to something kind of on the practical side of things. Um, you know, a lot of our audience is either newer agency founders or, um, yeah, people kind of learning the ropes. Um, so one question I have for you, I know for us early on pricing was this weird, mysterious thing, um, yeah. where I think at one point, I was just totally bogged down with work and somebody approached me about a job and I said, I'm just going to double my rate and see what happens. <laughs> Threw out a proposal and they went for it. And I think my jaw hit the floor. Yeah, you're like, where is the science? <laughs> in just yeah. To charge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you know, for, for you and your agency, um, maybe I, I'm sure now it's pretty standardized for you, but maybe earlier on, how did you go about figuring out pricing and um, what your work was worth? And, you know, did you have some of those moments where you had to realize that you needed to charge more? How did that work for y'all? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we were really lucky that we had, I had agency experience from the past and, and our experience from buzz marketing gave us a really good handle on hard costs, right? So like the world I live in, has a lot of hard costs in it because we everything we do is physical. Oh, Most yeah. of it they're physical. So um, you know, it was it, it's really it hasn't changed significantly from then. It's it's a combination of hard costs and then agency hours. Um, mm -hmm. the, the hours, to your point, you know, that is something that we just got better and better at over time because the more that you do these programs and produce these different um, experiences, you come to understand. Okay, we get a sense this is going to take. X amount of hours, you know, we're going to need to um, estimate these factors in, but it's hard because every company has a different way that they want to see budgets. Every mm -hmm. procurement department has different rules about 
you know, rate cards and all that. And I mean, we're constantly updating our rate card, trying to make sure that we're in line with the industry standards. Um, but I think in the beginning, it is hard, right? Because you just, you want to win the business. You don't want to be the most expensive. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you also don't want to work for free. So yeah. it was just sort of a um, trial and learn, uh, you know, based on at least some of the factors that we knew coming from the agency world and, and the work that we had done at Yahoo. Yeah, nice. And I'm curious, you know, as far as your business, I know for us um, in some with some client working relationships, I may um, give an initial estimate for the hours that I anticipate. And if we go above that, I'm like, well, this is what we estimated. I want to kind of hold to this price and not, you know, unless they have a ton of change orders or something, um, I'll try to keep to that amount. With other clients, I may hold it more strict and say, no, we clocked exactly 23.5 hours. That's exactly what we're going to bill you for. Um, what, what, where do you fall or what do you recommend on that side of things? Any advice for us or the listeners? Yeah, I think what we try and do, we're really transparent with our budgets. Um, so, you know, we've got a detailed budget and a summary budget and we show the clients everything. Um, so there's no like hidden fees that, are, that will surprise people. And that that's helpful for both sides. Um, so I'd say, number one, be as transparent as you can with budgets. Um, to your point, we come up with an estimate, right? It's like, all right, we're going to do this two day event. We estimate the hard costs will be X. We estimate that our hours will be this. Um, and we have weekly or monthly budget conversations with them. When we get to a point where we think we're going to go over what that estimate is, we always have those conversations up front before we get to that point. Because to, to surprise a client with a budget that's suddenly $100,000 over just yeah. bad business. That's not yeah. a, that's not going to make anything anybody happy. Um, and it's not going to be good for the relationship. So we try as much as we can to just have open conversations about where we're at, track the budget really closely and, and explain to them, like, here's why we're over. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's justified. Um, sometimes we do ask for change orders. If, if we agree to three rounds of creative and we're on round 10, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, Hey guys, I understand we'll do as many rounds as you want, but we can't just keep working for free. So, the, yeah. so here's what things cost. And, and typically clients are great and they understand um, sometimes we get to, um, a point where we've built something and they totally change their mind on what they want that build to be. And they decide, Hey, I want to like add this $10,000 arch in this corner of the booth or whatever it is. Um, and that's a sim- I mean, a lot of people don't like to talk about money. It's really not that hard. It's one of the easiest yeah. conversations because it's so black and white. It's just numbers. Yeah, and yeah. so just transparent about the numbers. I think it's an easy conversation to have to show them that's okay. If you want to have this arch, that's $10,000 more, show me where to take the $10,000 from and have that conversation. Um, you know, and I think that's how we try and approach budgets and we're never exactly to the estimate that we said we would be. Um, but we try to get close and if we're not, we just have the conversation when the time should be had and make that decision together. I, I love that. And, um, yeah, it's not like you're stealing money from their kids, you know, mouth no. like food from there. It's like this is their business. This is your business. 
what is it yeah. worth to you? Yeah, that's great. And yeah. at the end of our um, shows, we always do a bit of a wrap up after we're, we're done with this conversation about some of the things that stuck out to Eric and I. And so anyway, I just wrote down the whole transparent budget thing, 100% on the same parallel with that. But I, and maybe this is just like common practice and I just haven't heard it, but a summary budget and a detail budget. I have been yeah. wrestling with how detailed do I make my budgets? And you just answered that in a third way of thinking. And I, I'm a totally adopting that. I'm doing a proposal this afternoon. I am taking that from you. So thanks, Kelly. Yeah, um, some people want to see it. And some some people want it. Yes. Yeah. I know I scared a client off with, with a too, too detailed of a budget one to, or yeah. a too detailed of a project notes. And, um, but then others, people want it. So, okay. So here's, what, here's another one. When, when you five, um, and we'll kind of move to today pretty soon here, but one more kind of in the early days, when you five had gotten started, do you remember the first person that you brought on full time? And if so, how did you go about choosing that role? Yes, I do. Um, so what we realized is we were building things and producing things and we needed doers to help us do that. Um, and so a production role was our first hire because we just needed people out on the ground with us. So a producer was our first hire that we made. um, And from there kind of grew at the time, we actually, instead of having accounts and production separately, we had a hybrid role where you were both a producer and an account Mm. lead. Um, Since then we have changed. We now have accounts, slash creative service, production, creative, um, et cetera. But that was our very first hire. And she was, I mean, she was one of those people that could just do anything, jump in the trenches, um, hop on the road with us. And she was super critical to the agency. And where did you, was that a, a former relationship for one of you five? Was that an outside hire? Uh, it was an outside hire, but it was somebody that we knew that had, had kind of done this work and we knew she was great. Nice. Cool. Very cool. Well, um, yeah. What about, you know, heard some good success stories along the way. What about on the other side of things? Um, any, I'm sure there's been made many major lessons along the way, but um, any that stand out to you as a time where you might have really screwed something up or botched a job or got totally embarrassed? Um, anything along those lines that comes to mind? Um, I, I was thinking about this when you guys were sent over some of your questions. I think one of the biggest um, learning experiences that I had came from um, a new business pitch that we did a couple years ago, probably well, maybe like six years ago. And um, it was a big client. Um, it, was a, it was a big tech company. They wanted to do um, a user conference. We had a ton of experience in that world. They had just come to um, a show that we created for a company called GitHub. We we built their user conference and helped them design that for like six years. So That's she work awesome. is awesome stuff. Oh, thank you. It was super fun. They were great. They were a great client. They um, I loved their brief to us was Burning Man meets Ted. I'm like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really fun show. Um, so she came to that in San Francisco. Um, loved the work that we did put us on an RFP, kind of wanted to create something very similar. So we spent weeks working on it, um, tons of thinking, tons of design, um, just really smart work and pitched it to them, felt like everything went great and uh, found out we didn't win it. And all the feedback was great. She's like, 
you did this right. You did that right. The creative was awesome. I loved the team, the chemistry. Um, but there's one thing that you didn't do. And that this is why you lost the business. And uh, I said, what was it? And she said, you didn't offer to fly down here and pitch us in person. Oh, and wow. for that reason only, we're not hiring you. That's why we chose to hire you. And I was like, wow, really? (laughs) Um, But you had already worked with in the past. uh, I I didn't work with them. I knew her and she knew our work and she had just come to this big GitHub conference and loved it. Um, But it was, you know, her team was based um, in San Francisco at the time. We kind of had team members all over and, um, and we pitched it via video conference. And this was before COVID world where everything is on zoom now. Um, but I will never, ever make that mistake again, no matter no matter where they are in this country or not, you know, outside of this country. Yeah. When we are pitching a big, big or small piece of business, um, you know, I talked about how important relationships are and FaceTime and I'm like, we will get on a plane and we will go wherever we want to go because it, it 100 percent shows your commitment and the passion that you have for working with a particular client and um it just stuck with me for years. I'll never, I'll never not make that. I'll never make that mistake again. (laughs) It seems like a little thing, but it's a big thing. No, I think that's a really valuable lesson uh, for us and for a lot of our listeners, probably that's, that's a good note. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right. (laughs) You mentioned obviously the value of, um, yeah, experience in, in with clients, making it special, the story you shared from the book and both Eric and I align with that. And so I always do, I'm, Again, I'm just, we're just a year in as an agency, but we do, you know, we have a, a roaster here in Ben that is like, I'm totally a coffee snob. He is just the best. So we get a bag of his best and then handwritten notes. And we put like a package together for our clients, you know, every six months or whatever. But, um, okay, now you just upped my game a lot. And that was uh, a so lot great. You know, it's the little things that I told my team, I'm like, you know what? Don't just have weekly meetings with their clients. Know their kids' names. Know when their birthday is. Know what their favorite restaurant is. Fly it yeah. to them to just have drinks with them. It, it's mm-hmm. just, yep. it's, it's everything to do, right? And, yes, yes, human. Yes. And when I know you can't do it all the time. There's the reality of that. But when you can, it's important. So good, Kelly. Um, Okay, I've got another one for you. Uh, when we're in you experiential um, design and services, uh, us in our own little worlds of that same type, um, when you hit a wall of we know we don't offer that service, what do you do? Do you hire it in? Do you export it? What do you? How do you go about that? Yeah, so it depends on what that work is. Um, a lot of times we have preferred partners that we work with um, that are great at something that we don't do. And so we will bring them in if it makes sense. Um, And we're very, we don't ever white box uh, other agencies. We're very um, upfront, like, hey, we don't do that kind of work, but we have a great partner over here that does branding and we want to bring them in and work with them together on that. Sometimes we just don't, right? Like media buying, we just don't, we don't do that. We don't have the the leverage to do that. And, um, there's huge agencies out there that are better at it. So we just refer, uh, clients to those agencies, you know, we'll just say, Hey, I think you're better suited. Um, we tried in the early days. I mean, to be totally honest, we tried to do things sometimes that we didn't, that wasn't really at our core. Yeah. Yeah. And we did it okay, but you know, it was just okay. And everything we do, we want to do great. And we learned that it's not a bad thing to say that we don't do that and that's not our specialty. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. 
Good, good answer. I like that one. Yeah, I think um, it's it's pretty quick where a client trusts you, and they they may start asking. You know, like for us, we're we're video specific, and it would come up. This has been great. This has been really great. Can you guys do websites too? And we're like, uh, <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> but, well, I mean, yeah, kind of quickly. You know, rather than reinventing the wheel and like you said, doing something okay, we'd, we'd rather focus on our niche and um, get them in good hands. Taking us to today, um, you know, you just had the all hands on meeting. Um, what does your work look like now? What does your role look like now? Um, different, I imagine, from being as in the work um, at the beginning? It, or are you more managerial at this point? What's it look like um, as an agency founder at your stage? Yeah, so um, so we're almost 13 years in, like I mentioned. Um, from a from a partner standpoint, the good news is that we've all really we all really understand now what we're good at and what are our roles. When we first started the agency, like I mentioned, there was five of us, and we all wanted to do everything, and we all had our specialties. But um, you know, it was our baby, and so we all wanted to be able to have our say on decisions made. Mm-hmm. Well, that can take a really long time to make a decision with five people involved. Oh, and yeah. um, we learned that quickly, but you know, like that's how we started. We all wanted to be a part of it. Fast forward to today. It's very clear on what our roles are. So <clears throat> just for background, the way that we divide, there's three of us now, like I mentioned, um, my business partner, Sean oversees production. My other partner, Brian oversees creative and then I oversee client service, um, business development, and operations. Um, so we all have our very clear lanes now of, of what we do. Mm-hmm. And although we make decisions as partners, um, we still we now trust in each other to make their own decisions about those departments, right? So if I want to hire somebody on the account side, I don't need to make sure that all the partners interview them as well. I might want them to, most times I do, but we all trust like, you know what, that's, that's your division. You make the decisions you think need to be made. So that's been really helpful. Um, in terms of my role at the agency, um, it's funny because obviously we definitely moved up out of the weeds, um, over Mm -hmm. the years because we have great teams below us now that do the majority of the work. Um, but we're really involved still. And, and I guess it kind of, so I don't, I don't know if I gave this background, but when COVID hit, we laid off everybody. Um, we got two rounds of PPP and we survived till September. And then we had to let go of everybody, which was devastating. We don't need to talk about that. It's almost like we had to start over. Right. And and not really because we had the experience, but we're like, Oh shit. We're like, here we are again, the three of us. Um, but it wasn't that hard because we've never really removed ourselves from the day to day and nor do we want to, we don't, we don't ever really want to be those partners that just sort of sit up here and kind of don't know what's going on. And people are, you know, doing their own thing. Um, obviously we have all full trust in our teams and we let them, we let them run their programs, um, on their own, but we're, we're involved to the point where the teams know that we're here. We participate in important meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, we have relationships with the clients too. And nice. I mean, we love the work, so we don't want to just sort of be up here managerial. Um, but at yeah. the same time, we don't want to micromanage. 
So it's a nice balance, I think, of where we are today that we just have, we have awesome people that work at this agency and, and they could do it all without us, but they appreciate, I think, that we're here to support them. And, um, you know, we like being a little bit in the trenches always. Yeah, nice. Did, just to dig in a little bit further and just on something you mentioned um, with the employee oversight and things, um, are you utilizing any kind of time tracking software either for um, tracking hours to see where they're allocated for different projects or, you know, productivity of employees? Um, is that something you've got into in the past? Yes. I would say don't not ever do that as an agency because that's really such a helpful tool to manage the business and to manage your resources. Um, when we first started, I think we used a software called Harvest, okay. um, which is really easy to use. Um, we brought on a CFO about a year, two years ago. Um, what we had a, I mean, we had, we have a solid financial department, but we brought on an actual CFO a couple years ago and she introduced us to another software called work um, mm-hmm. which is another platform, but it goes much farther beyond just timesheets. It incorporates all of your financials, um, uh, all of your backend systems. So it's a lot more complex, but it makes it easy, easier to manage the business. Um, so from a time tracking standpoint, one, you need to make sure that your, you know how many hours your employees are working from a utilization standpoint, just to make sure that you're not either overworking or underworking employees and that you have the right ratio um, of, of employees to work um, yeah. and, and also managing budgets, right? Like you're not going to know what to charge somebody if you don't know how many hours were spent on a program. And then by doing that, it, it's actually incredibly important for your financial projections for the coming years because it helps you understand trends and data that says to you like, okay, a six month program like this is gonna probably take about 4,000 hours and at this rate, blah, blah, blah. And then you can kind of project ahead. These are the team members that we would need. These are the hours that we're gonna have to allocate. Um, and you can uh, forward looking uh, much better with that kind of data. So definitely use some kind of time tracking and it's the worst thing in the world. Nobody wants to do it every yeah. Friday. Like, guys, I know, I hate it too, but just please, <laughs> it's important. Yeah. It's, it's it like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. The metric to know if you're being viably sustainable. So, yeah. one more quick thing on there. So, you just mentioned, you know, 4,000 hours. Um, you know, it just prompts another question. I think, you know, starting out, you know, earlier phases of, of an agency or design firm, um, Starting with smaller projects, um, you know, obviously growing and having many employees like you, you're working at a higher level with bigger projects. Um, do you mind sharing, you know, what are, what are some budget ranges that you're working in? Um, as I think partially for motivation for for people that are out there that are wondering, is there a higher tier level of work? out there? Are people doing this, this type of work? Um, anything you want to share along those lines? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I would say right now, probably our average budgets, um, range from 500,000 to a million per program. Um, before the pandemic, we were doing a lot of big, um, 
corporate conference kind of work. Um, and, and those could range anywhere from four to 6 million on average, but mm-hmm. in the work that we do now, I'd say about half a million is probably the sweet spot. When we started though, I mean, we did $20,000 projects. Um, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. It's, it's just what's the right work for you that one that you're passionate about that you're going to really enjoy doing. And, and yeah, you got to pay the bills. What's kind of nice when you do first start out though. Um, so enjoy it now that you don't have a ton of employees is that you don't have to be so concerned about how much money you're bringing in if you don't have huge overhead, right? My The thing that keeps me up at night, honestly, is making sure that my team is taken care of and that they're happy and that they enjoy their jobs and they can take care of their families and, um, you know, and they can pay their bills. And so when I think about financials and the business and it, so much of that is is because I want to make sure that we can always take care of our team. But in the earlier days, it was just the five of us. Um, and so a smaller program that didn't seem like a lot of money was a lot of money to us because we didn't have 25 employees to pay, you know? Right. So, um, so you, you grow as you scale. And I think don't be in a hurry to grow too quickly. It's, you know, just focus on that you're doing work that you love and you're making a money to, to pay the lifestyle that you need to pay. And then I think organically you'll grow and, and, you know, people always ask me, like, what do you want to be in five years from now? Do you want to be like a hundred person agency? Do you want to get acquired? I'm like, I just want to enjoy what we're doing and, and make yeah. great work. And if that means we stay 25 people for the next five years, that's fine. You know, I mean, right now we all love what we do. We can pay the bills. We, you know, we can do great work. And so that's what I, what I focus on. But cool. it, is, it is still exciting when you get a $4 million program. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so fun. You know, still feels it's good. True. I mean, it's fun to see that. But your overheads, obviously, I mean, listeners will understand this, but your overhead is also high. I mean, there's a number of people on the project. There's costs. So it's not like you're banking that much. So, yeah, no, totally yeah. God, no. That's like That's gross right. revenue. So yeah, huge, yeah, exactly. Right? Like a huge, that $4 million program, you might make 20% profit yep. from that. Yep. Um, you know, and what we do, obviously programs can that number is higher because we're, you know, we're building stages and we're, you know, taking over the Moscone center. So those are all hard costs that go into yep. that program. So yeah, yeah, $4 million is not going in our bank account, sadly. No, I think we all just to set that expectation with the listeners. Yeah. It still kind of feels yeah. that way when you get a big job though. It does. Yeah. yeah. You see a big number yeah. and yes, we're rich. Wait, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> I know our CFO is always saying like, don't look at gross revenue, look at AGI, which is basically, you know, the cost of the program minus all the things you need to pay for. And then that little chunk is what you, what you take home. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, that's what you're going to new seasons for dinner. Not, uh, (laughs) so, um, okay. I'm going to give you, as we kind of begin to wind down from the business stuff, I'm going to give you three questions pretty quick. You don't have to go into detail. They're just fun. Uh, so here we go. You ready? Yes. Okay. First one, sit or stand desk. Oh God, that's like it. Or is your I, desk? Is dual? No right answer. Yeah. No right. Well, there oh, is a right answer. One. It's a funny one. Cause when we opened the office, they did a survey of what everybody wanted. And I said, I wanted okay. a seat at the desk and now I stand at the stand desk. So stand. 
Okay, stand desk, stand. cool. Wow. Uh, number two, and this is, uh, I guess it's a little more serious, but it's still a quick answer. What's the most single most important character trait in an interview when you're working with someone that you're looking for that instantly, if they don't have it, contain it, express it, that you're like, not the right one? Uh, good communication. Nice. Love it. Third one, and this is this can go a little bit story form. Clients from hell. Can you give us a no name? Like that I they can give me a hundred million a year. I'm not working with them. Just like a general, you can any part of the story. Does one come to mind? Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. um, we fired them. We fired them. They uh, one of the executives took an email, edited it incorrectly to include information that we actually did not provide. Oh my gosh. And, um, and then sent it back as if it was information that we had provided. No way. So we them and they were big wow. clients and they're a big name. And, oh um, my gosh. And then he yeah, well, really? of course. Yeah, character follows you. Yeah, you'd, think wow. the, uh, you'd understand the whole sent message concept that it, you know, there's a thread. Yeah, yeah wow. You what the original one had and what you're That saying. is a new one. I have never heard that. That's wild. That's like almost so. Okay, well, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Eric. White color. Don't work with people that lie, I guess. It's the- lie, yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps us up. Yeah. Kelly, it's been so great chatting with you and really appreciate you taking your time to share with us. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. It was super fun. And I'm excited for you. Congrats. Like the whole, sometimes I miss the early days of when we started the agency. It's fun and scary and crazy and exciting, but um, I'm excited for you guys. I love anybody that's starting something new on their own. It's a, I would not have changed my path for the world. It's, it's great. So good luck to you guys. And if there's anything that I can do, also, to, to help you guys, please reach out. Wow, what a great conversation with Kelly from Manifold. Here are three practical takeaways from today's episode that if you apply, can help you grow your creative agency. The first one is, at least from Eric and my point of view, is to give clients or offer clients a summary budget and a detailed budget. I love that. Good practical tip. Yeah, for me, uh, focusing on relationships. You know, that was key for Kelly early starting out and then even mentioning um, their weekly meetings with their clients. For us, we kind of do milestone meetings. So that really stood out to me. She's still focused on relationships. Great. And then finally, enjoy if you are a smaller agency right now. Enjoy the time of being a smaller agency and love your work. I think that was a really... um, I think that's profound and shaping. So those are just three. Kelly had so much uh, incredible content. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and we know that you hear this all the time, but as a newer podcast, the, the best way for others to find out about the Grow Your Creative Agency podcast is for you to rate it and then to share it with friends. So if you wouldn't mind helping us out by going and rating it right now, whether you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we, it would mean the world to us. And if you have any questions that you'd like us to ask future guests that you're interested in, hearing about, you can head over to growyourcreativeagency.com. That's right. We got the URL, growyourcreativeagency.com. You can submit them there. And if you would like to help us keep going, you can also become a Patreon supporter for just $5 a month. Well, until next time, get out there, grow your creative agency. Signing off. Okay.